What is up, God speak? How we doing? Some of you are good. Good. All right. <laughs> oh man, I am excited to go through God's word with you. If I haven't met you personally yet, I'm Zach and I am excited to be studying God's word with you. As this is living, we're going to learn today about being anchored in the word of God. And man, that means you need your Bible. Right? So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. Raise it nice and high so we can give you a Bible. Raise it nice and high. Ethan needs to give someone a Bible. Ethan needs to get someone a Bible. Bam, right there. Look at Ethan, our littlest usher over there. Powering. All right, we're going to be in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, Hebrews 4 verse 12, help your neighbor out if they need help getting there. We are here to help one another. Sophie, Jessie needs help. She needs a lot of help. No, she needs a lot of help. So help her out. Yeah. Keelan, you might want to help too. Matt, get on this. You need to help. Yeah. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. When you are there, we are going to read, but uh, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. So please stand. We do this because we give God's word honor and reverence. And then when I talk, you just merely tolerate me. So that's how we do it here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Won't keep you up there for long. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This is God's word. Are you ready? You don't sound ready. Are you ready? All right, let's implore of the Lord. Lord, we, we desire you here tonight. Father, I am incredibly weak and feeble without you. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear and hearts to receive. Father, that we wouldn't only latch on to the encouragement that lies within your word, but we would also latch on to the correction. That we would not merely be Christians that want our ears tickled with, with good tidings all the time, but rather, Lord, we would also be able to receive the, uh, the somewhat harsh truths that are all pointing towards a holier and steadier life with you. God, may, may we be reverent of you tonight and seek to learn from you. And so, Lord, we are glad that you are here. Lord, you are among us. We don't have to invite you, Holy Spirit. We know that you are present. And so, Father, bless this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Have a seat. So uh, we are going through a series right now on Sunday nights, and, and that series is called Anchored. And, and it, you know, not only because anchors are really trendy right now, which they are. Anchors are super trendy. You see everyone getting tattoos right now of anchors, right? Decisions that will last for their entire lives. Trends. I'm not passionate. I have a tattoo, but anchors are super trendy. So that's, that's basically that's the only reason I want to go through this series, Anchor. That's the only reason. Also, also, I want us to be able to go through the book of Hebrews in a way where we anchor ourselves in who Jesus is. We anchor ourselves in who Jesus is. And if you weren't here last week, I'll, I'll recap it a little bit for you. Last week, we spoke of being anchored in salvation. Anchored in salvation. That, uh, and we learned that ingrained in us as human beings, this is, this is universal as human beings, there is this desire in us to forge our own paths, to be the authors of our own stories. There's this ingrained desire and to make our own decisions, to be the writers of our own destinies and the captains of our souls. This is the ingrained desire in humanity to forge what we desire. 
to write our own histories. This is, is man's original sin in the Garden of Eden. The, the, sin, the, the original sin was not eating an apple. You understand? Right? How lame is that? That you know, the entirety of man's destiny was hinged upon man eating an apple. Right? It was actually the heartbeat when, when, when Adam and Eve said, maybe we can do this God thing. Maybe we can be the forges, forgers of our own destinies. Maybe we can acquire the knowledge necessary to dictate our own lives. But as Adam and Eve figured out, and as, as we figure out swiftly that we cannot blaze our own trails... As we, as we start to accumulate this knowledge of the way life works and the way this world works, we find out soon enough that no matter how much planning we do for the future, no matter how much we try to seize life, take the bull by the horns, we run into unexpected trials and temptations that make for roadblocks in our lives. And this is because of the simple fact, as it declares in Colossians chapter 3, that the world was created for Jesus and through Jesus. That of course when we try to take this world in our own hands and try to take our lives in our own hands, of course when we try to forge our own paths and write our own stories, we're going to face trials and unexpected roadblocks because it's not for us, this world. So of course it's not going to bend to our will. It is created for Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus. This is how this world operates, yet we are always trying to achieve this perfect life for ourselves. Always looking for what we call the American dream, what some people might call the happily ever after. This is what our hearts seek after in reality, that life of joy and fulfillment that every man and woman, a woman desires in life. That life of absolute joy, fulfillment, satisfaction cannot be achieved by our own trail, by our own merit. It can't. We are, no matter how hard we try, we end up being imperfect and ruining things. And this isn't, this isn't to bash on humanity at all. It is to declare that God has this perfect, perfect unity planned for us. He has this paradise that we're longing for. And the Bible in Hebrews chapter 6, as we learned last week, it equates us to sojourners. It it, it equates us to, to people on a ship that have reached stormy waves. And it talks as Jesus as a steadfast anchor for our souls. As we in, as we as human beings voyage to try to find paradise as we voyage to try to find this perfection and joy and satisfaction. We run into waves that keep us from getting to our destination. And what we learned last week is that wind and waves, not only metaphorically, but literally are powerful, right? Especially in Israel in this time that the storms got super intense, so intense that big ships that were trying to reach it to shore could not make it because the winds were so strong, the waves were so strong, so it kept them from getting to shore because their sails were so big they could not make it. And so what they would, what, what they would do, what Israel would do, is that they would, they would establish on the shores these huge rocks that buried deep into the shore's ground. And they had little divots for ropes and chains to attach onto them. And when the wind and the storms, when they were all far too intense for the, for, uh, for the sailors to get to shore, what they would do is that they would send a smaller boat, that what's called the forerunner. And that smaller boat would endure the wind and the waves crashing upon them with a rope tied to their boat. They'd make it to shore, enduring all the hardship, attach it to the anchor. And then the big boat would take it and their crew and they would hold on to the rope and get themselves to shore. We saw this as a metaphor for what Jesus has done for us. Us unable to attain the shores of paradise on our own. Jesus Christ was sent as a forerunner on our behalf to endure all the waves, all the trials, all the baggage. To suffer on our behalf so that he might anchor us to the shore. 
And it says, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that goes beyond the inner curtain as Jesus has provided a forerunner on our behalf. This is the gospel. This hope is set before us. It is right in front of us. And we learn that our salvation is not dependent on how hard you can paddle to shore. It's not dependent upon how well you know the waves and know the world around you. It is not dependent on your skills or how well you understand sailing because no matter who you are, you cannot make it to shore on your own. You need a forerunner. So our salvation is not dependent on our knowledge of Christianity. It's not dependent on our merit and our good works. It is dependent on how tightly we can hold to Jesus. That is the mark of our salvation as Christians. We are not moral deists, meaning we are not these people that just believe in God and being as good of a person as you possibly can. We are people that genuinely believe that God has created us for unity with him, for fellowship with him, and that we continually decide to rebel against him, try to be the forgers of our own past, try to be our own gods, the own writers of our destinies, and we end up being sh- uh, with shortcomings unable to attain this perfect life. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only son that all the baggage and all the sins that would keep us from unity with God would then be nailed upon the cross and crucified with Christ. And when he rose again on the third day, we might have life with him too if we accept him. So the Christian life is not dependent on how well you can do at church. Not dependent on how good at Christianity you are, whatever that means. How tight do you hold to Jesus? How tight do you hold on to him? Do you grasp on him? Do you pray, earnestly seeking him, seeking a relationship with him? Saying, Lord, you and you alone are are the anchor for my soul. So this series is about clinging to that rope. As Jesus has provided this way, It's about us clinging to the anchor. And that's what this entire series is about. It's about being anchored, clinging to that forerunner. Ways we can be drawing near and closer to Christ. And we do that by devotion in the word, as we'll learn tonight. Prayer, worship, and being in a solid community. These are all things we're going to go through in this series. And I want to preface this really quick, guys. I want to preface this entire sermon by saying we must, we must as Christians be willing to latch on to the encouragement that lies within the word and the preaching of it. But we also must be willing to receive the correction that comes along with it. Not only as Christians, but as human beings. If we can't receive correction, we're going to be emotionally and spiritually deprived, right? We have to be willing to take in the correction and go forward with it. I spend my entire week getting my butt kicked by God's word. And it hurts, but it's good for my character, right? Can I get a witness? Anybody on the same, on the same page here? Amen, amen. And it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Anybody here grow up in church? Anybody here grow up in church? Majority of you grew up in church, grew up in church. Did any of you get like a special badge or a special sticker or a treat for memorizing Bible verses? Anybody? Special things, right? Little trinkets that you would get for memorizing Bible verses, right? And it, may, it just makes you feel good, right? Like I, I accomplished something. I memorized Genesis 1-1 like 80 times, right? And got that treat, Yeah. And, and, and so we're taught in Sunday, Sunday school, we need to read our Bibles. We need to read our Bibles. We need to read the Word of God. It's good for you, right? It's good. Why? I remember being taught in Sunday school that the Word of God is good. I remember learning that it was good to know it. But I don't remember any of my teachers, my parents taught me this, but I don't remember any of my Bible teachers telling me why it was important. 
So we have all these, and this is kind of what this series is about. We have all these things. Read your word, pray, worship, be in community. Why? Right? I mean, we, we live in this postmodern society of, of kind of like, why? Right? I know there's tons of hipsters in this room, you know? Like, you know, why? Why, why should I do that? That's the institution. That's the man. They're, they're the ones doing that. I'm going to do my own thing, right? So why? We have to know why, all right? Or, or else we're just going to kind of just do our own thing. If it doesn't make sense to us, we're not going to do it. We're not. And so we need to understand the why of reading the word of God. That needs to be anchored in our hearts. Why? And I would say that the answer of the why is actually found in the who. We ask, why do I need to read my Bible? Why do I need to read my Bible? The answer lies within the who of the Bible. Not the why of the Bible, but the who. And if you've been with Pastor Mark and I long enough, I'm going to ask this question, and if you don't get the right answer, we're just going to go through another series of just only saying this. Who is the Bible about? Oh, yes. Mark, they got it, <laughs> right? Jesus, the inti- who's the Old Testament about? Jesus, New Testament, Jesus, every part of the Bible is about Jesus. The entirety of the Old Testament simply points to the coming of Jesus, the crucifixion and the life. It is either a shadow, a prophecy, or an image of the coming Messiah, right? David and Goliath is not about you and your own struggles. That's Goliath and you're David and you need to overcome it. No, 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 no. Jesus is David. Your sin is Goliath. Every part of the Old Testament screams towards the glory of the gospel of Jesus. Everything in the New Testament simply points to the gospel of Jesus. Points back. So the Bible is either pointing forward to Jesus or pointing back to Jesus. The entirety of the Bible is about him. So every nook and cranny of the Bible is about pointing to him. So, so guys, if the default of our heart is to always stray from God, if the default setting to our heart is, man, I kind of just want to do my own thing, and Christ is the only anchor for our soul, that keeps us connected to joy and keeps us connected to that satisfied life, walking in unity with God of joy, peace, and salvation, then it is paramount that we be continually plugged in to the word of God. If we are always trying to stray, and Jesus is the only one who can bring us back to unity with God, and the entirety of the Bible is about Jesus, then we must cling to the word to know of this anchor, to know of this anchor that withholds our soul, that holds our souls together. Our salvation and security in heaven, guys, I don't want you to get the wrong idea at any time. We are not a Bible-centered church. We are a Jesus-centered church. Our salvation and security in heaven is completely and 100% dependent on Christ's work on the cross for you. That is, that is never going to change. What Christ has done by his power, by his strength, he holds you in his hands and he is not going to let you go. No amount of your salvation is subtracted or added to by the amount you read the word, by the amount you read your Bible, so the amount that you pray in the morning. That does not add to or subtract any form of salvation that God has declared that that you have in his name by his blood. But, but, our satisfaction, our sense of security, and our fruitfulness in this world is dependent on our knowledge of who Christ is. It's dependent on our knowledge. I'll give you an example. Eve in the garden, right? Classic, classic example. Eve in the Garden of Eden. We see she's just chilling, right? She's doing her Eve thing, right? Just taking a stroll, probably just looking at the animals, right? Picking fruit for herself. And then we see that the enemy come, form of the snake. Don't trip out on the snake thing, all right? Just don't trip out on it. It says, he says this, the enemy says this. 
Has God really said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Has God really said that you're not allowed to eat anything here in the garden? <laughs> did God say that? Did he, did, he, did he say you can't have anything here in the garden? And Eve is like, huh. Well, I, I, I think I am entitled to a little bit, right? Did God say that? He's not, that, that she's not allowed to partake of anything in the garden. In fact, it was the exact opposite. He said, everything here is yours. That's what God said. God said, everything that I have created is for you. Enjoy it. But if you desire to be with me, do not partake of this fruit. If you desire to choose me, just don't do this. I'm giving you a choice. You can, you can have everything here. But if you decide that you don't want everything here, if you decide that you don't want all of these blessings, you can eat of this fruit. You can choose that. You can choose to not be with me. But the enemy construed it in a way of, man, God's, God's really making you miss out on some stuff, right? And that really made Eve question God. And guys, it sounds super silly, especially in a Bible story. You know, it sounds really creepy and weird, and it sounds like just this weird poem, right? But, but in all honesty, this is the lie that is given to us in our culture as well. Man, did God really say that sex is bad? Man, did God really say that he, he hates gays? Man, did, did, did God say that you have to be conservative? And these are the people, these people will, in the world, they'll say this. Well, well, God says that you have to be this, or God says that you have to do this. And we're constantly bombarded with that in the media. We're constantly bombarded with that in our schools and in our, wor- in our works. We're, con- we're constantly bombarded with that. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Well, I heard, and I read this article on Facebook, that God actually, you know, you know what I mean, those people... Did God, and God, God doesn't say any of these things. God doesn't say any of these things, yet these lies are continually fed through our culture. And if we don't have a firm foundation what God actually says, it's going to hurt us. If we, if we don't actually know what he said, and it's all hearsay, well, I think my pastor maybe said one time, if it's all hearsay, when these lies are given to us and fed to us, we're just going gonna, gonna to believe it. Or, if anything, it's going to cause us to just stir up with doubt. If you, if, you, if you read your word, you'll find out that God's character is it's unbelievable. And, and, and do you know what? No matter what my culture tells me, no matter what I'm fed at school or I'm fed out in the world, Man, I, I've done my homework. I, I understand God's character. And so no matter what they tell me God said, I'm like, no, God didn't say that. In fact, he said this. And usually those people that have been questioning me are like, what? Insert gospel here. Come to Jesus, right? That's how it's supposed to work. And guys, if we don't have a firm foundation of what God actually says, it will cause us to question his character, who he is. And I want you to think about this really quick. It just blows my mind that God wants you to know him. He's not some abstract being that decides to remain a mystery and kind of does whatever he wants without telling you what he's going to do. He reveals himself to you. He wants to be known by you. That is, that is insane to me. That the, and it says in Psalm 8, verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? We look at the stars, we look at the mountains, We look at the sun silhouetting the mountains and the reflections on the lakes below. We look at all of these things and the majesty of his creation, the vastness of the universe. What is man that he is mindful of us? We are are not even comparable to an ant. We are not even compared to a single cell of an ant in the vastness of this universe. That's how small we are, but God is mindful of us. And God chooses to let himself be known by us. 
that is insane. That is absolutely insane. And then we, we get fed lies. Like, God works in mysterious ways. Baloney. That is a lot. That's not true. God works in mysterious ways, so I'm just going to not worry. That's what lazy people say. God works in mysterious ways. Because do you know what? It actually says in the Bible the opposite. That God doesn't work in mysterious ways. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 8, that he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will. It says that when Christ came, the word incarnate, he decided to make everything known. So when bad things happen, when tragedy occurs, when things happen in your life and you're unable to contend with people, we kind of use this cop out of, well, well I, I, don't under, I don't understand God. I guess he just works in mysterious ways. That's actually not true. He makes it known here. I, I have given you everything you need. Will God always be a mystery to us? Yes. That's because my mind cannot always understand everything that he makes known to us, but he is continually, continually pouring out who he is to us. And my life is but a continual discovery of all the things he's already made known. If we do not abide in God's word, truth becomes something that is not absolute. It becomes something that's not absolute. It's a floating vapor. It has no weight upon our hearts. Now we're going to get a little deep. I think it's necessary. So I want you to stick with me and buckle your seatbelts. You ready? For some of you, it might be simple, but for me, my, my brain, like, it took me, like, years <laughs> to get this, right? But it says here, go back to Hebrews, where we were in chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. How can the word be living? That's my question, right? It seems, it seems, uh, it seems odd to personify a book, right? It seems odd to describe the book as a he, Right? To describe it as living, as active, as accomplishing something. Now, usually with information, we wouldn't call it living. We would call the brain and the mind that processes it living. And that's not necessarily what the author of Hebrews is saying here. It describes the word of God as a hymn. And we learn in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Now, now, we express, as human beings, we are made in the image of God. We, as human beings, express our hopes, our emotions, our desires, our aspirations, and, and, and every, everything that we express is through words, right? Now, we can have nonverbal communication. We could express it in facial expressions, and etc. Et but the spoken and written word is how man chooses to communicate feelings, emotions, what our will is. Spoken and written word is our avenue for expression. So, our avenue, so God's avenue of expression is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. He is by which God makes his will and his aspirations and his hopes and his dreams and his plans. Christ is how God makes that known. That's why Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That means that Jesus is not a declarer of truth. He is the author of it. It doesn't mean that Jesus is a philosopher who explains to us an avenue of truth. It means that he is the creator and the originator of truth. So he doesn't just get to decide, okay, I think this might be truth. And he doesn't get to just teach truth. He decides what it is. He is the originator of truth. So the Bible is not just a set of rules. The Bible is not just a roadmap to life, as some people like to say. 
It is not the, the manual by which we, we learn how to do life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he decided to make light, what did he say? Let there be light. God's words hold power. When he said, let there be light, light was. Now, the science of that remains the same, but it was all originated by God's expression of words. The origination of the earth, the science remains the same, but God is the author of it. So the Bible is not just a set of rules or guidelines. It is as God created the heavens. Listen, as God said, let there be light. As God created the heavens and the earth. As he said, let there be this. And it was. So God, when he speaks to us through his word, creates truth. And so we... As people and image bearers of God, we, as we read the Bible, we are not just learning about God, we are being formed by Him. Because when God declares truth, it becomes reality. And so when we allow the truths that are spoken in the word of God to penetrate our hearts, as it says, past the flesh, past the joints and marrow, past our minds just being able to understand it, when we take in this word of God and apply it to our lives, it is not only like, oh, maybe I should change this and kind of, you know, see if it works out for me. It is, no, God's word establishes your lifestyle. It does not justify it. It establishes it. It says that it's a two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit. Better said, guys, the Bible, you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. It searches you. And when you open it up, it reveals things about your character and who you are. That's what the Word of God does. And we live in a society of wanting to be known by people, right? Right? That is, that, is the, that is the crux of our society, is it not? We desire to be known. Think about this. We have web pages dedicated to us. Some of you have three web pages dedicated to you. You have a Facebook, an Instagram, and a Twitter. You want to be known so bad, right? That you will make an entire, you will put on, on the digit, in the digital world here, you like for the entirety of humanity to see on a screen, this is you, right? These are your likes. These are your dislikes. One time you went camping, you're, you know, they're like all this stuff. Like, here's my dog. Here's a picture of me and my dog. Here's a picture of me and my girlfriend and my dog. Here's, you know what I mean? Like we want every part of us. We want people to know, you guys notice that on Facebook? It doesn't just say, Hey, you know, tell us a fact about yourself. It doesn't say, Hey, what happened today? It says, what are you thinking? Right? I'm like, whoa, <laughs> right? I'm like, dang, man, what's on your mind, right? And so we want, it, we want people to know us. We want people to see us. We want to portray this image of who we want people to see we are, so much so that we dedicate websites to us. We want to be known. We want to be known. This is because we're made in God's image. God wants to be known. You know that? God wants to be known. And we want to be known. And so as we read the word, it's an opportunity for us to know God and to be known by God. It's an opportunity for us to read and discover new truths about him and his character and who he is. And it's an opportunity for him him to reveal parts of our lives and our hearts. The Bible is equated in Galatians as a mirror. As a mirror. Where we look at ourselves and we, we analyze ourselves. What, what is my life? Right? He wants to be known and we want to be known. It says that there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Guys, when I'm, when I'm before God in the word, I'll tell you this. 
When, when I'm before God in the Word, I am completely uh, vulnerable. Completely vulnerable. The darkest parts of my heart are revealed when I truly decide to dive into this book. Parts of me that I never thought were there are revealed. And I've gone through the motions and still do very, very often. I'll say this. I, I'm like a week on, week off type of guy. Like I will have a week of just, nope, not doing it. Like just can't, right? And then I'll have a week of just being broken before God. And I'll tell you, we can skim through Proverbs. We can, we can skim through a gospel and kind of just graze through it to get a general knowledge. Or we can allow it to search us. The Bible, guys, it's not meant to... And I think a lot of people, not you, because you're perfect, so am I. A lot of people, if the shoe fits, wear it. A lot of people use the Bible to just reinforce the opinions they already have, you know? Like, I don't like this pe- person, or, or I think this lifestyle is a good lifestyle, so let me look at the Bible on how I can, or what does it say about what I'm doing, and where does it say it's okay? Where does it say it's okay for me to do this with my girlfriend? Hmm. Right? Yeah? And so, and so we, we, we use this. We use the Bible sometimes to reinforce our lifestyles, but rather it's not supposed to do that. To re- it's not supposed to reinforce the worldview we've already created for ourselves. It's actually supposed to create our worldview. It's supposed to form our worldview. We're supposed to die to ourselves, die to our opinions, and we put all of those aside and allow God to en- just take our minds and create You know what? That's hard. I'm telling you, just, just with me, personally, that is incredibly hard. I struggle with it. It is hard for me. I have so many opinions. I think I'm right, like, all the time. <laughs> I, I, I have so many opinions. I have so many things that I, I, that I want to do with my life. I have so many things that I want, I want to be the one who descri- you know, defines myself. And so it's hard, but, but Jesus said in Matthew, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. They must deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow me. That's the reality of the gospel, guys, is that, is that we're not called to this easy and cushy life. We're called to be transformed people for the sake of the redemption of this world. And we, we, we can't do so by, by wading in the shallow waters. We have to go deeper. And that, and that is so hard for me because it's scary because it means I need to give things up. It means I need to say things that are hard or receive things that are hard. It means that I need to change, actually, which sucks for me. Oh, man. So many things I love, right, that I don't want to let go of, but I know is good for me. And so if I ignore my Bible, I don't have to listen to that. And it's hard for me. It's hard to be shaped by the word, but man, is it so worth it. It's so worth it every single dang time, man. I, I will resist and I will fight and I will just, I, I will be drugged to the altar of God and I will go kicking and screaming and finally when God grips my heart with the word, I'm transformed for the better. Peace, finally. Because God has this way of declaring truth in the way that... Because here's the beauty of it, guys. Is that, guys, following Christ and being in his life and being in his lifestyle, it's not about God just changing everything you are. Okay? It's not about, all right, so here's like this pastor. Here's this Christian that you know. I want you to work as hard as you can so you can be like them. So I need to show you some things that you need to correct and you need to change in your life. That's not how it is at all. It is God has created you in such a specific way. God has created you. God has formed you. And God has made you his precious child. And he doesn't want you to change. But there's some things that we add on to ourselves that just aren't us. 
there's some sins that we have. That's just not you. And so God's saying, by the word, I'm going to reveal in you the, the original you that I have intended you to be. I'm going to wipe away all this gunk that you have accumulated on yourself. And I'm going to show you who I've truly made you to be in the gifts that I've given you and the calling that I've given you. The mission and the life that I've given you to live. And you're not going to know that unless you decide to look in the mirror. Have you ever looked in the mirror and you're dressed a certain way and you're just like, this isn't me? So you change and you're like, all right, perfect. Jeans, t-shirt, converse, that's all I want, right? That's me, right? And there's so many times where like, I'll, I'll look at the awesome clothes that Pastor Mark is wearing and I'll put, I'll put something similar on and be like, not me, not me. <laughs> I'll even look at my brother, Wyatt. Wyatt is just so stylish and like, you know, he just always looks like a surfer and like just, he just got out of the water in that grungy clean kind of way. And I'm like, man, like I'm just looking in the surf shops. How can I be like my brother, Wyatt? And then I'll get the clothes and I'll put it on. I'm like, oh, like this isn't me, right? And God, and God is saying the same exact, he's like, you've been putting on clothes that just aren't you. Look in the mirror. I'll show you who I want you to be, who you are, who I've created you to be. Look in the mirror. It is living and active and able to tell you these things. If you guys could turn to Hebrews chapter 5, so just the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 5, and we'll close here. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 says this, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. So, so the author is saying this, he's saying, guys, Jesus is just like Melchizedek. And all the people are like, who's Melchizedek? Right? Right? Who's Melchizedek? And, and, And essentially the author is saying this. He's like, we have so much to tell you about how Jesus is exactly like Melchizedek. And he's from the order of Melchizedek. We have so much to tell you, but we can't. You don't know who he is because you haven't read your word. Right? I want to tell you this deep and awesome and great thing, but I can't. Because we haven't, we haven't been in our word. And that's, that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, we want to go deeper. We want to go deeper with you. But you have to go deep in your own life too. Then we can have these discussions together. We can talk about these amazing truths of the Lord. And we can build each other up. So I'm not going to tell you who Melchizedek is. <laughs> You're going to have to go <laughs> and find out yourself. It's pretty cool. In verse 12 it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God? And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who, par- uh, who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Like ba- not like babe, but, you know, like a baby. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Guys, this life, as we said before, is full of trials and temptations and unexpected things that will seek to strip your devotion to God away. And if you come and you only drink milk, you're not going to get the nutrition you need to start walking as an adult in the Lord. He says here, some of you, by the, by the duration of time you've been Christians, you guys should be teaching already. You guys should be teaching other people about this. But you come to church and you just keep needing milk. You keep needing the pastors to feed you from a bottle. And I, I don't want to make you feel bad. I, seriously, that's not my thing. I don't want to make you feel bad because, because do you know what? This is a continual thing for me as well. Just needing people to spoon feed me. Just wanting really, uh, do you know what? I could do this study on my own or I could just kind of just put 
on the pastor, like online, right? Just get to a good podcast and just allow him to tell me everything. Spoon feed me. Some of you, for the time that you, for the amount of time you've been Christian, some of you, you should be teaching already. You should be teaching. But instead, you need milk and not solid food. Because this life is full of hard things that come our way, and all these attacks that seek to strip our devotion away from Jesus, for those of us that wade in the shallow water of God's word, we're going to be helpless when we're thrown into the deep end. And life has a tendency to do that, right? Guys, I I had a very, very sad report today of a young woman who had some hard things happen to her, and she is now strayed away from the church and hates Jesus hates everybody in the church, hates all of that. If she had simply gone deeper, found that foundation and anchored in what God declares her to be, that might have not happened. Because it's not a matter of if hard things are going to happen to us, it's a matter of when hard things are going to happen to us. And if we are not preparing ourselves, if we are not anchoring ourselves, if we are not getting the solid food of the word of God, when those hard times hit, we're not going to be able to swim. We're not going to be able to swim. For the sake of your soul, for the sake of your soul, you need to dive deeper. And I'll read to you Psalm 119. And I'll ask the worship team to come back up. And I'll close here. Someone... Psalm 119, verse 25. Psalm 119, if you guys, if you guys need a place to start, if you guys feel like, here, here's the thing, I, I will get in super, incredibly dry parts in my faith where I just have no desire to go through the Word of God. Absolutely none, right? Like, I'm a pastor, guys, and I'm telling you, you're not the only one who doesn't want to read the Word, right? You're not the only one. I'm being real, being transparent. I no super Christians in this church, right? We all go through this, right? We will all go through times of not wanting to be in God's word. And any time that happens to me, I go back to Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the entire book of the Bible, and it is all about loving God's word. And in Psalm 119, verse 25, it says, My soul cleaves to the dust. I'm, I'm, I'm in despair. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your word, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false away from me and graciously grant me your law, your word. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your law and your word before me. I cling to your word. O Lord, do not put me to shame. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. Guys, being anchored in the word, I'll tell you, I, I, you know, I'm, I've, I'm, I've experienced trial in my life. Maybe not to the degree that you have, but I, I, I can talk with you about it. I can contend with you the trials that I've gone through. I truly believe that hardship is hardship no matter what degree it is. It's always hard, Right? I don't want to compare trials with you. But I'll tell you that it's, it's not the comforting word of a friend, and it's not the, it's not the you know, drowning my sorrows in any type of activity or just trying to forget about it. It's always when I learn about the truths that God has declared and what He tells me I am and the promises that He's made to me. That's always what's brought me back. When God has let me know how dear I am to him and the plans that he has for me. So we're going to worship for the sake of your souls, for the sake of my soul. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to sing to him. And as the psalmist says right here, as David says, my soul clings to the dust. 
I am humble. You know what? Humility is derived from the, the word hummus, which means of the earth. Of the earth. On the ground. Humble. And so let's humble ourselves before God and be able to receive this. I need to get my word more. And, you know, you may be in your word every day. You may, may be this deep theologian. You know, you got the word down, right? You have books upon books upon books. God bless you. You still need it. Amen? This is for everybody. This is for me, especially. I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm not going to watch another episode of Daredevil. Right? I'm going to get in my word and allow God to give peace to my heart after a really long day. Amen? Lord, we, we give worship and praise to you. Pray that you would, as the psalmist declares, God, that you would, by your word, enlarge our hearts. Enlarge our capacity to worship you. Stretch us and grow us according to your word. May we be anchored in who you are so that when we go through life, when we wade through the deep waters, as we cling to you through the storms, we will be able to hold fast to that sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And as we're holding on to you, Jesus, in who you are, we would not doubt because we know who you are. We know your character and we know that you love us. So, Lord, as we cling to you, Jesus, I pray that we would also cling to your word to know who you are deeper. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have communion here. Um, if you choose to partake in communion, you don't have to. I encourage you, if, if you are, um, it, you know, if, if this is something that you desire to do, this is available for worship. And it's essentially... The bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for you. The, blood, uh, the, the juice represents the blood of Christ that was shed for you. And we do so and we just remember the cross as we worship. So if that's something that you need, I, I tend to need that to remind me and center me back on the cross. So that's what I do. You don't have to. But that's available to you. And as I encourage you every week, worship unabashedly before the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's worship.